Bibles and turn, whoa, take your Bibles and turn with me to the 62nd Psalm. I mentioned at the opening as we used this for a call to worship and talked about reading it and singing it and hearing it, that this was kind of a meditation, if you will, on this Psalm today. And we're, we're called to meditate on the Scriptures, that we ought to be meditating on the Scriptures. We ought to be reading them and rereading them and thinking about them and singing them and then rereading them again and seeking what God wants to say to us through them. Uh, I once heard a professor of mine in seminary say that uh, the word meditate is a word that really gives us a picture of what a cow does when it chews its cud. You farmers know what a cow does. Maybe even in school you've learned, but they, they eat their grass, they swallow it, and a little bit later they bring it back up and they chew it some more, then they'll swallow it again. They just kind of meditate on it, you know, until it's finally through its cycle and everything's fine. Well, that's kind of what we're supposed to do with Scripture. It really excited me today. I I, I hate to leave Romans for a Sunday, but it excited me today to think about that we could think about Psalm 62 together. The song, I'll Not Be Shaken, is written by one of my new favorite songwriters, a guy named Wendell Kimbrough. And uh, he's out of Mobile, Alabama. And what good ever comes out of Mobile, Alabama? I don't know, but Wendell Kimbrough did. And he, he's taken it as a, as a mission. He's a worship pastor at a church down there, an Anglican church. And he's taken it as his life's goal, I guess, to write music for all the Psalms. And there's a bunch that I like that he's done, and you'll probably hear some more of them as time goes by. And we'll sing some more of them. But this one is my absolute favorite. Because Psalm 62 is such a tremendous psalm. You know, Martin Luther in in the Reformation, we always focus on the fact that he was, he was, his understanding came from Romans. Romans 1, 16 and 17, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, because in it the righteousness of God is seen. And out of that and his understanding of the whole idea of justification by faith alone came the the great Protestant Reformation and how how glorious and true that is. But but the truth of the matter is, before Luther lectured on Romans, he lectured through the Psalms. And I I can't help but believe that the Psalms, and Psalms like Psalm 62, had a great impact on him because in Psalm 62, we have the solas, if you will, of the Reformation in Old Testament form. We have it pointing to God alone, who is Christ alone in the flesh, God in the flesh. We have, we have you, you see there all the, the glory of salvation, not being from our works or our abilities or our intelligence or our choice even. We have salvation is from our God. It is a gift of God. It is a glorious truth that God alone saves. And and so this psalm had to have had an impact, I think, on Martin Luther as he began to think through the whole concept of justification by faith alone. And and I hope you see in a minute, you're probably sitting there saying, how does Psalm 62 tie into the Lord's Supper and the Lord's Table? I hope you'll see that when we're done here, okay? But let's meditate on this psalm a little more before we get to the Lord's Table. With your Bibles open to Psalm 62, hear the word of the Lord again. And I just realized one thing while I was reading responsibly, that either our program that pulls in the scripture from the ESV 
is of the newer version or I've got the newer version here, one or the other. Because they did change a couple of things. Uh, up here, you'll see only, and in here, it'll say alone. But understand, it's the same word in the Hebrew, translated both ways, and it means the same thing. Alone means only. So hear this. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They, they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. It's a danger. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Then he talks to the people. Trust in him at all times, O people. Put, your, put out your heart, pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together, lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. And that you, O oh Lord, to you, O oh Lord, belong steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. The psalmist calls God his rock and his salvation. I don't know what you think of when you think of a rock. When you think of a rock, maybe you think of a little pebble out on the road or something that you, you run over. Or maybe you think of something you've got that's ornamental in your yard and it's kind of big and it sits there. And you, you certainly can't move it by yourself. But with a little effort, you could get some folks around and a tractor or something and you could move it and it could be moved to another place. When I think of a rock, I think of where I used to live in the 1980s. I lived in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Literally almost in my backyard was Stone Mountain. I don't know if you've ever been to Stone Mountain or not, but Stone Mountain is the largest granite outcrop in the whole world. Sticks up hundreds and hundreds of feet, and it's, it's over, I think, three miles or four miles around it, and, it, and there's a train that goes around the bottom of it, so you can see the whole thing. And, and, and this huge rock just pops up out of the earth. And they say that the, the base of it runs under Georgia and Alabama and Tennessee and South Carolina. And somebody even said they thought it reached the southern Kentucky. I don't know if it does or not. But, but it goes all, it is a huge rock. When I think of a rock, I think of Stone Mountain. 
when I think of Stone Mountain, I realize even that rock is not like the rock of my salvation. It's not nearly as mighty, not nearly as powerful, not nearly as immovable. Because I guess with the right equipment, the right uh, blasting and the right stuff, it could possibly be moved, but not by human beings in, in and of themselves. So when the psalmist writes that for God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, my fort. I shall not be greatly shaken. My trust is in him. My trust is not in my religion. My trust is not in my church membership. My trust is not in what I do or do not do. My trust is not in my ethics and my morals. My my trust is not in how other people see me and my reputation. My trust is in him alone. That's solo Christo from the five solas that we talked about last October and September. The psalmist says, I want want you to grasp this. Above everything else that you might hear or be a part of, I want you to grasp this. God alone is where our focus is to be. Other things will disappoint us, other things will hurt us, other people will let us down, but he is my rock. He is my salvation. He is my fortress. And I shall not be greatly shaken. Then he talks about attacks that come. Most scholars believe that David wrote this psalm while he was facing the rebellion of Absalom. And and that that Absalom's forces and his forces were at odds with one another and they were coming against David and they, they sought to destroy him. It could have also related to the time of the Saul uh, conflict that took place when Saul was still king and trying to kill David. Both of those kind of express the same sort of enemy coming against him. But in our day, we might see an enemy coming against us in many different ways. It might be some person who seeks to drag us down from our walk with Christ. It might be some temptation that comes from Satan, who is our great enemy. It, it might be any number of things, but... but David wants us to see the attacks will come. They will seek to batter, and we will many times be like a leaning wall or a tottering fence. We, we, we in our own strength cannot withstand any of that. They plan to thrust us down from any position that we hold. They take pleasure in lies and falsehood. They, they talk religiously. They, they bless with their mouth, but they curse from within. In other words, they, they, they say, oh, I, I believe in God too, you know. I, I love God too, you know. But their lifestyle and their, their activities, their works, betray the fact that they only speak with their mouths. They don't speak with their lives. So David says, you know, sometimes our enemies are very subtle. Sometimes our enemies are things that we don't necessarily see as an enemy firsthand. But they're just as dangerous and they seek to destroy us just as much. We make a lot of application of that, but I want to get to the Lord's table. Verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He 
He goes back, he, he goes from confessing that in verses one and two to warning about the enemies in, in verses three and four. And now he comes back and he gives counsel to himself. You ever had to do that? Have you ever known something to be true, but in the midst of conflict or the midst of struggle or the midst of sickness, your, your mind wanders to other things and you're, you're just not sure? Doubts arise? Doubts that God really loves you? Doubts that God really cares? Doubts that God really is in control of the circumstances? Because if he was, why would I be going through this? You know, and we feel sorry for ourselves and we want to we somehow try to... to, to try to tell God, if, if you really love me, I wouldn't be this way. I think David got that way with Absalom, with his enemies coming against him. I think, I think David got the point and said, God, if I am your anointed, if I am your called one, if I am your king, why am I having to face this? But in verse 5 and 6, he counsels with himself. He says, for God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. I've confessed it in verses 1 and 2. Now I'm telling myself, soul, wait in silence. Be silent before the Lord, for my hope is from Him. It's nowhere else. He only is my rock and my salvation. He only is my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. I have no glory of my own. It's only God's glory reflecting by me and through me. On God rests my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. He counsels himself. Don't forget who you are. And don't forget who he is. Don't forget that you belong to him and he has promised to be your protector. He has promised to be your savior. He has promised to see you through whatever, whatever trial you're going through. As long as your eyes are fixed on him, you are in a secure place. But if our eyes wander off to other things, and think that, well, maybe that can protect me, maybe that can save me, then we have wandered filled and we need to rethink and re remind ourselves, counsel ourselves of who we really believe in. See, sometimes it's easy to say we believe in God, we trust God, we, we, want, we believe God's in control, we believe God loves us and all these things. But when it gets right down to the, to the bare bones of an issue, we really start trusting in ourselves. David says don't do that. Counsel yourself, remind yourself, remind your soul to wait in silence before the Lord. And then in verse 8, he tells the people, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. It's not just for me. It's not, a, not just an individual thing. It's a, it's a community thing. In the body of Christ, in the covenant family, God is our hope. God is a refuge for us together. As he's counseling them to cry out to God, pour out your heart before God, cry out to him with all you've got. He says, doesn't matter if you're of low estate, if you're poor. Doesn't matter, matter if you're a high estate, if you're rich. They're both going to come together in the balances. Because poorness 
and richness of this world, both will be gone. Both will evaporate. Both will be absolutely useless for any security, any fortress, any hope. He says, law estate is but a breath. Poorness, poverty is but a breath. It will be gone. High estate, wealth, why, it's, it's, it's a delusion. It can, it can vanish tomorrow. You can, have a, you can own a lot of stuff, and it can be taken away by thieves or by recession or by financial collapse. I mean, name out the number of things that could happen. If your trust is in your wealth, your high estate, your abilities, then, then David says you're living in a life of delusion. They go together in the balances, and both are lighter than a breath. Don't trust in extortion. Don't set your vain hopes on robbery. If your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. It's temptation for that when we get things, get stuff. I've got it made. Nothing can happen to me. If I get in a problem, I'll just buy my way out of it. If I have something go wrong, I'll just pay for it. I'll just deal with it. I mean, we see that in our culture all the time. We see that in our politics all the time. Uh, well, I'm caught somewhere. I'll just bribe somebody and I'll make it go away because I'm rich. I've got stuff. And everybody wants my stuff, so I'll give them my stuff. David says, don't trust in your riches. If your riches increase, don't set your heart on them because they can be gone. Continue to set your heart, your soul, your hope, your trust on God alone, on Christ alone. Nowhere else. He says, once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. It's just said that way for emphasis, for importance, for it's, it's kind of like the verily, verilies that Jesus would say. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you, when you hear something verily, verily, you, you, Jesus is saying, now don't miss this. David says, I want you to know God has spoken once. I've heard it twice. It resounded within my heart. It resounded within my mind. I am hearing that power belongs to God. You think you're powerful? You think you can trust in your power? Your power is weakness compared to the power of God. Your authority is weakness compared to the authority of God. Your riches are puny compared to the riches of God that he provides in Christ Jesus. David says, listen, power belongs to God. And remember this, that you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. His love is secure. His love is sure to those who wait upon him, to those who alone look to him, to those who alone cry out to him. Put not their trust in riches or power or human authority. 
Now, I love this last phrase because it sounds to, to, to undiscerning ears, it sounds like David has just contradicted himself. And he says, For you will render to a man according to his work. <clears throat> sounds like David's saying, Okay, in the final analysis, you're going to be saved or lost because of works. It's not what he's saying. He's saying that when your trust alone is in God, not in riches, not in power, not in prestige, not in popularity, when your trust is in Him and Him alone, there will be works that will issue forth from your life. Salvation in Christ does not, is not something that you just passively get and then you passively sit by and, and wait till the day you die. Salvation in Christ is something that changes your whole outlook and changes your whole life and moves you from trusting in self and looking out for self to loving God and loving others and reaching out to others. That's what I prayed for this morning in the pastoral prayer. Lord, let our faith issue forth in work. Works. Let our faith issue forth in a visible change in our life. For our hope, O oh Lord, is in you alone. So we sang it. I'd have to say also, we sang it as well with my soul. That fits in with this psalm very beautifully. You know the story of Horatio Spafford who wrote that. I won't go into the whole story, but just the synopsis. He lost his children in a shipwreck that he was supposed to be on the ship. His wife alone was saved. She got to England and sent word back to him, a telegram which hangs on my wall, a copy of it on my wall in my study. I alone saved. What shall I do? When he got it, he immediately set out for, for England to get with his wife and to grieve with his wife. And as he's passing over the exact spot, according to the ship's captain that he was on, he called him up on the, on the bridge and he said, he said, this is the spot where the ship went down where your children died. And he wept. Then he went back to his cabin and he wrote, it is well with my soul. When sorrows like sea billows roll, he's out there in the sea and the the billows are rolling about the, the ship and he sees those things and they're frightening. But when sorrows in my life like those sea billows roll, I look to you and it is well with my soul. But that other verse, which is my favorite, my sin, my sin, oh, the bliss of this wonderful thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. What glorious truth is that? Our living waters. Come to the living waters. Christ is the living waters. Trust in the living water. Don't trust in natural water. Trust in the living waters to give you a quench of your thirst that you never experienced if you're not in Christ. Well, we opened with something that I was hoping got your mind and your attention on why we're here. Immortal, invisible, God-only wise. Our God is a great God. Our God is a mighty God. Our God is a God who loves 
greatly who is powerful in all his works and who brings us to faith in Christ. So what about the table that sits here in front of us? When David says, God alone my soul, for God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation, what, what I want us to see is when we come to this table, we, we come in silence. When, when, when David says, God is my rock and my salvation, he's my fortress, that he is my everything, he protects me, he provides for me, he cares for me. When David says, he is my rock and my salvation, he's my fortress, I'll not be shaken. This table reminds us every single time we come to it that Christ is our rock and our salvation and our fortress. Reminds us what took place on that cross. It reminds us that because of that work on the cross, my sin, oh my sin, not in part, but the whole, the whole of it, all of it, totally, my sin is nailed to the cross, and it's that body and that blood that was given there and shed there on our behalf that serves as a reminder of who is our rock and who is our salvation above everything. David knew about Passover. And Passover was always reminding the people that they had been freed from slavery. Every every year when when they met for Passover and sat around that table and went through the whole Passover service and broke the bread and talked about it and talked about the various elements of the Passover, they were always being reminded, you have been freed from the slavery of Egypt. God did a work for you that you could not do for yourself. God gave you a deliverance that you could not secure. God went back, they go back in history and remember that our God is a gracious God and a freeing God and a saving God because that's what he did for for Israel when they were slaves in Egypt. David knew the Passover and that it promised freedom And it promised salvation. Pointing to another meal that was yet to come. Pointing to the meal that we remember this morning. That in the Passover there was a a literal, earthly deliverance. In the cross, there is a literal, earthly deliverance heavenly deliverance they were delivered from the slavery of Egypt we are delivered from the slavery of sin because as Paul showed us in Romans quite clearly we're all slaves to sin we who are in Adam we who are in Adam can only sin oh we do good things and benevolent things but But even those are sin if we're not in Christ. It's not done by faith. So our Lord initiated this meal. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. The body that will hang on the cross in your place, the blood that is poured out to establish the new covenant in my blood. So so this table is our reminder of who is our rock. Who is our salvation? And who is our fortress? 
Who's our protector? Our sustainer? Our redeemer? Our power? Our strength? Our hope? Our riches? They're all in Him. It reminds us that things of this world are fleeing. It reminds us, reminds us that Christ alone is our rock and our salvation. It reminds us that in Christ alone is there forgiveness of sin. Reminds us that in Christ alone there's changed lives to live out works for His glory. Would you pray with me? Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. As we prepare to come to this table, our deacons are going to come who are going to serve and take their position, take their place. You're praying. Your, your, your eyes fixed upon God alone. If you're here this morning, you're a believer, and that ought to be easy. That ought to be clear. If you're here this morning and you're in need of Christ, I invite you to Christ. I invite you to trust Him right where you're sitting and enter into that relationship and then make that known, make that public. We come to that time of commitment after this table. If you're here and you're harboring sin in your life, Paul says in, to, the, to the Corinthian Christians that we ought to use this time of coming to the table as an examination of ourselves. Pray David's prayer. Search me, O Lord, and try me. Show me my anxious thoughts. Show me my heart, Lord. If there's anything in there that needs to be dealt with, let me confess it. Let me repent of it right now. As I see these elements of the body and the blood of Christ passed around. As always, I invite you to this table. It's not our table. It's not Grace Baptist table. It's the Lord's table. If you're here and a baptized believer in Jesus Christ and in good standing with your church, wherever that is, because we've got several guests from out of town, if you're in good standing with your church, I invite you to participate with us in it. But more than anything else, I ask you, think about what it means. Think about what it means. That He is our rock and our salvation. He is our fortress. And we must put our trust in Him and Him alone.